Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 4th, 2011. For newcomers, help yourself to the audios which you'll find at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's hundreds to choose from and hopefully you'll find the, the big system that you're, you've been born into, the one that's not mentioned by the media and the one that's been working very hard for an awful long time to bring in a form of world government, which it doesn't stop simply when you reach a target goal. They've always got new targets to reach because, you see, it's a never-ending story, in a sense, of the improvement of the species, or, if you like, the enslavement of the species to the superior ones who already rule it. That's as simple as that. But anyway, help yourself to the audio. You'll find out there's a parallel government, been here for a long time. Professors and those involved have been very happy to churn out their books over the last 150 years or so, but most folk don't bother reading them because they're not sexy, they're not fun, they're rather dry, boring stuff, very bureaucratic. But you'll find that's where the truth always lies because we're, we're kept in a kind of Disneyland with entertainment, with regular media. And uh, they never, their job is not to ever tell you what's really, really going on or what the long-term goals and plans are. In fact, there's no real journalism anymore at all, except for maybe those who are involved in the big systems, the big society, the one, the one above the one that we know, uh, that deal with bringing the world into this new planned society, like the Council on Foreign Relations. That's where the, the higher journalists go. There's lots of them work full-time uh, with them around the world because they have... Uh, offices across the whole globe now. And we're well into it. Anyway, help yourself to the audios. Remember, too, all the sites you see listed at cuttingthroughmates.com have transcripts for print-up as well as the audios. And you can go into alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts in other languages. You can also help me keep going, too, by purchasing the books and discs that's for sale at cuttingthroughmates.com. And you can do so from the U.S. to Canada by a personal check. Still, in this day and age, you can still use a personal check, and they do come through. Or you can use an international postal money order from the post office, but the same price as a regular um, postal order, basically. And you can also use PayPal. You'll find out how to do it at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and you've got to PayPal again. Remember, straight donations are really awfully welcome right now. And this time of inflation and all the rest of it, and quantitative easing, easing as they call it, which is just the same thing, basically, as they inflate things out of proportion to make sure that you go into a world of austerity and you learn how to eat less and uh, buy less, actually, and the cash that used to jingle in your pockets and wonder what to do with will go in fees and taxes for all the things that you really need for bare essentials. And that's what really this whole new austerity idea across the world is about. Energy is the key, and all energy units will be paid for dearly by you. You're going to get a lot less of them for a lot more that you pay, but that is the coming system. It's already been set up, actually. It's a matter of implementing it a step at a time. 
Some countries are roaring ahead with it, like Australia, but we're all supposed to follow it because it's a global agenda, an absolutely global agenda. And the last people to know that they're global, of course, are the, the hard-working, uh, tax-paying citizens of each little country as they go up and down this roller coaster of financial crisis. You know, there's never, had a, there's never been a generation since central banking, when private banking, that is, was established for governments. There's never been a generation that's had uh, a life of peace. It's either complete warfare with someone else, run by the central banks, who always divvy it up at the end because all taxpayers on both sides win, or lose, I should say, and they have to pay up the costs. And the rest of the time is economic warfare and layoffs. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. I was just thinking, as I say, that people never get a chance to relax in one generation. It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened for an awful long time. And uh, as I say, parents, grandparents are always off at war. And uh, now it's our turn too, same sort of thing. In between the wars, we have recessions and depressions and plundering by the banksters. And this is supposed to be called a normal life. It's just astonishing, really, when you look at all the breakthroughs in science, we're told about these wonderful things they can do and things they're working upon. And yet they can't get the money out of the system straightened out. This is just too complex, you see. And special folk have to be brought in to deal with it. It's too complex and, and mystifying to everyone. It's voodoo, really, and it's a form of voodoo. So the high priests of cash really are the ones who can understand it. I think their deity made it up, and, and, and no one speaks to them except their deity. So anyway, no one else can understand it, apparently. With all these courses and universities and degrees and everything else, they just can't figure it out. It's just amazing. But really, we're run by a con game, of course, and that's the bottom line, because... All agreements between citizens and government are based on chronology, where, where they pretend to serve you and, and you pretend that they are. And even though they're driving about and living a, a high in the hog a lot better than you'll ever do. But we go along with it. And that is what it's about, really. It's compliance. Compliance of the citizenry. And we accept the, the nonsense from the, the, the mainstream media. It's interesting, too, the difference in U.S. politics and, say, the British system. Where in Britain, they kind of laugh at each other across the house, they call it, the different parties. And they guffaw. They actually have guffawing. And you've got to learn how to do it. You can go to Eton and Cambridge and you learn how to guffaw very, very politely. But they do that all the time when they know that their boy's been ripping off money from the public purse for his own projects. And that's happening in Canada, too, part of the British Commonwealth system right now, in fact, where they've all got fingers in the cookie jar and they're laughing at each other and doing this guffaw stuff across the house floor. Nothing happens about it. It doesn't matter how much cash has been ripped off. I mean, one guy put $50 million into his own riding uh, supposedly under the last G20 meeting, and of course it didn't go anywhere near his writing, but that had nothing to do with it. Things like that, you see. So that's normal politics for outside of America. But in America, they pretend, of course, that they're far more open because they, they build the, the, the president up into almost a kingly figure, and that's something, a legacy they've been stuck with, unfortunately, because, see, the rest of us are, are lumbered with kings and queens, whether we like it or not. And um, the U.S., uh, I, I think it's part of the celebrity thing. People want to worship two-legged monsters, 
that walk, you know, and talk occasionally too. I think that's part of the problem. And they, they, they elevate the president up into almost a kingly position. And Hollywood does a great job too. And all the movies, there's so many movies out where the, the final call on anything is to the president who talks to everybody. He's just so with it and never panics and so on like that. And that's the image, of course, is created by fiction. But that's what you get. And they're closer to fiction than, than most countries with the, the reality. Because We've watched, the, and we've gone through many uh, techniques of grooming people for, uh, by the Council on Foreign Relations for the presidency. And like Quigley said, not a single president uh, or prime minister for that matter in the Commonwealth countries has been elected. And that was in the 1960s. He says in the last 60 years that hasn't been a member of this uh, august organization. And it hasn't changed today. They're all picked in advance. They all attend the Bilderberger meetings. They're all groomed, tested to make sure they'll stick to their scripts, which are written by other people. And so we watch this facade, you know. It's like in the movies where they put in a stuntman and you think it's still the real guy. And there's, there's Sean Connery as James Bond or whoever it happens to be bouncing off of skyscrapers and, and, and landing in some stacks of paper and getting up and walking away. I mean, this is the sort of stuff we're given for presidents and, and prime ministers, really. So it's, it's quite funny that we go along with all of this nonsense. Well, all the time, there are so many global meetings on the go Every week, I doubt if even a prime minister or a president can keep up with them. There's a massive staff keeps keeps up with that. And I bet you, you do, if you've been for five years, you wouldn't know everybody's names and all the different governmental departments for the heads of them, that is. You, you wouldn't even get to know them. There's so, there's so many of them. It's a monster. Anyway, we'll go along with the farce here, and it's quite interesting uh, that Obama, when he, when he was coming in, to, to power said he'd be, he was going to go for transparency in, in government, which is really an, an awful idea. And it'd be a miraculous idea too if it was to come true. But of course, there's always those folk who, who like nice sounding things and, and they want to wish, they believe in wishing. And wishing's awfully nice at times when things look awfully bleak and, and dark. So you, you, so you hear the nice things said to you and then you say, I wish that was true. And these are the ones who are positive thinkers, you see. Government really and the whole election process is about positive thinkers. And, and don't look at anything negative, whatever you do, because, um, that's a downer. I've met new agers who actually say to you, Oh, you said that, that lot mean it's going to happen. Like, you just cause it to happen because you said, said it could happen. That's how crazy they are. But that's, again, positive thinking. And it all came out of these motivational courses they give you. If you listen to any Obama's speeches, there's nothing concrete he says about anything. It's all up in the clouds somewhere and heavenly and visions. And, and he looks up to the sky just like, you know, some evangelists do because they're trained to do this stuff. And these are all the, the hand gestures because it's another language too, which you actually understand subconsciously, but you're not aware he's actually doing it to you. And, and you see him as a godly figure. And this is, it's very well done in, in the States because it's more like Hollywood, you see. You're the professionals. Anyway, Obama uh, was talking about op- op- opacity in government, really, and transparency. And, uh, and uh, he was to get an award for it. So anyway, it says, this article, I've shelled it for over a week because it says, shh. Shh, it says, shh, you know. Obama gets an anti-secrecy award. Uh, it, it says, um, 
President Obama finally and quietly accepted his Transparency Award from the Open Government Community this week in a closed, undisclosed meeting at the White House on Monday. The secret presentation, that's transparency, happened almost two weeks after the White House inexplicably postponed the ceremony, which was expected to be open to the press pool. This time Obama met quietly in the Oval Office with Gary Bass of OMB, actually men in black watches at OMB, and with Tom Blanton of the National Security Archive, Daniel Bryan of the Project on Government Oversight, Lucy Dalgleish of the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, and Patrice McDermott of Open Government Org, without disclosing the meeting on his public schedule or letting photographers or print reporters into the room. Our understanding going into the meeting was that it would have a a pool of uh, photographer and a print reporter, and it turned out to be a private meeting, Bass told Politico. He was so so on point, so on target in the conversation with us, it's baffling why he would not want that message to be more broadly heard by reporters and the public interest community and the public generally. Just hours before the White House put off the original event, White House Press Secretary Jay Carney was defiant in his defense of Obama's transparency record against criticism that it might have been premature. The President has demonstrated a commitment to transparency and openness that is greater than any administration has shown in the past, and he's been committed to that since he ran for President, and he's taken a significant number of measures to demonstrate that, Carney says in a testy exchange with Fox News reporter Wendell Gohler on March the 16th. It says, the transparency advocates who presented the awards to Obama said the recognition is important because... Despite the work left to be done, Obama has done a lot to change the government posture towards openness issues. And it says, but others believe the positive reinforcement was more than a little unnecessary. I don't feel moved today to say thank you, Mr. President, said Steve Aftergood, the Director of Project on Government Secrecy at the Federation of American Scientists. But he says he understands the award to be aspirational in recognition of Obama's potential to do more on the transparency front. So you get awards relief because you're, you're thinking about doing something. You see, it says in that sense, one could say it resembles the award at the Nobel Peace Prize. After Good said, it's not because Obama brought peace to anyone, but because people hope to be a force for good in the world. Again, that's that positive thinking stuff. And maybe that's the way to understand this award. So that's how things are, you see. We, we, we go along with all this stuff and the nice, oh, transparency. And gut. I manage the people, you know, I, 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 just an ordinary Joe. That's all it is. And this is a rubbish that we go along with our whole lives long, from every politician, actually, and all governments. And it does take the the complicity of people to go along with, well, bullshit, actually. And we do across the world. We're trained that way, and we want to just have some kind of peace, you know. Or you can learn to... To copy those in Oxford and Eton and, and Guffaw like they do in politics and they do in Canada and the British Parliament. So anyway, this is the world, as I say, it takes complicity. We can't really blame every, anybody else really. We're all part of it, aren't we? Because we, there are actually people who want to parrot everything they get on the general news every night of the week. Because they want to believe it. They really want to believe it. They want to believe the world's quite nice and cosy and real people are up there sweating, just like the movies, worrying about your safety and stuff like that. And in reality, the whole concept of government has been twisted around 180 degrees, especially in the U.S. Because no one 
in the U.S. ever started off the American Revolution with an idea of keeping the people safe. And if you read it in the writings by Jefferson, he'll tell you in his own writings the purpose of government was to keep the people free. But how they can change it, how they can change it, it's all about safety. We've got to take all your rights away for safety. My goodness. Yeah, got to know all about you, what you're thinking, what you're doing. A whole psychological examination is done on you every day, and most folk don't mind. Well, I'll tell you. And, and it maybe there's no point really in having um, the farce anymore of government, because most folk really don't mind. It'd be cheaper, too, not to have... Uh, to go along with it and, and just skip elections and, and keep the same people in. What does it really matter? Because one group of multimillionaires is the same group as the other group of multimillionaires in the different parties. They all invest in the same companies. Back with more after this. We're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, too, as we give all this attention to the front men that give us to, to throw tomatoes at or, 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 or applaud, however you happen to feel at the time. We're run by private organizations that all go back to the same big foundation that started a long time ago. All these organizations, private ones, that are the new form of, they form the new form of democracy. In fact, this was spoken about over a hundred years ago when democracy was discussed in Britain by some of the high hootspurs. And they said this would inevitably happen where uh, those with the cash would uh, create basically what we now call non-governmental organizations and associations and they would represent the public, whether the public liked it or not, or if the public even knew about them or not. Most of the public have no idea of all the organizations, these private ones, that, that run their lives, that always lobby government. And the government's in on it too, at least all the leaders are, because they know what's supposed to get passed and what isn't. And this is the, the way that the Soviet system was based, because if you look at the the charge of the Soviet Union, it sounded like heaven actually, and they always given us lots of heavens, but we're, we kind of fall down into hell once they're in power. But anyway, getting back to the point, uh, the, the Soviet system was, was really based on, and Soviet means basically councils, uh, organization of or, or order of councils. So the idea was every area of society would have its own representatives that were up, that would just arise spontaneously, the best talkers, and represent the public. And this is what non-governmental organizations are. are. They have to really run our lives in the future. They already are today, uh, through communitarianism, for for example, how they run your community as a decentralized government before, as they do away with nationhood altogether. This is all happening today as I speak. has been for years, actually. So it's a new Soviet model for the whole world, and the bankers are all behind it. In fact, they're always a way ahead because... Uh, the bankers don't wait for things to happen. Uh, these are the guys, the real experts, the one who really, the guys who really pull all the cons on us and crash countries and, and then plunder them and end up owning them, basically. These guys have been at this for an awful long time. They don't, I'm talking, not talking about your little corner bank there. I'm talking about the, the guys who lend to nations. They've been at it for thousands of years. So, 
intergovernmental organizations. And now the, the terminology, if you go into the United Nations, is like something out of uh, um, A Thousand and One Nights or, you know, or Aladdin, you know, and, and you get pictures of these magic carpets flying through the air because of the, all these grandiose titles at the United Nations that belong way, way back in the Middle East in the, in the past. But here they are today using them. And here's one on, again, climate change conferences. Because, you see, climate change, which is just the weather changing, uh, and not always changes and always had, it's a great thing to be in on, uh, claiming it's a brand new phenomenon, you know, having weather. Uh, so, but anyway, they've managed to pull this one off, uh, and they're training generations of children, already done it in some cases, who left school brainwashed and believing everything they're told that somehow the, it's all changing for the worst and we've got to fight it. See, we need a, a new enemy to unite us all. Uh, and that's what they've, they've done. It's the weather, you see. So you, you read this from the, 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 the next big meeting they're having for to upgrade the Kyoto Protocol where they started all this climate change stuff. After the Club of Rome, another private organization that works with the United Nations, the think tank came up with the idea to unite the world and after looking, as they said in their own book in the 1970s, after looking at all, all the things they could possibly use to unite the world under this great big con, they came up with the idea of global warming. That would fit the bill and famine and all this kind of stuff. That would fit the bill, they said in their own words. Anyway, we're, we're going under it. Just like politics, we sit there and pretend it's all real. Anyway, so the intergovernmental negotiation process primarily encompasses the conference of the parties, COP they call it, you see, you need a dictionary for these guys, the meetings of the parties to the Kyoto Protocol, the CMP, and the subsidiary bodies meeting and a series of workshops, you see. The, the COP, that's a conference of the parties, is the supreme body, it's a supreme they're a big supreme being and everything. And now we're going to have a body, a supreme body of the convention. Then it says uh, the CMP is a su- supreme body of the Kyoto Protocol. They love these supreme words, don't they? Supreme commanders and all that kind of stuff. It says um, the convention established two permanent subsidiary bodies, the subsidiary body for a scientific and technological advice, which is SBSTA, they have to change that and get a better sounding name, something that grabs you, eh? And a subsidiary body for implementation, which is the SBI. In addition, this is not, you talk about bureaucraties invented by Sidney Webb at the Fabian Society and all, a long time ago. This is it right here, you know. Namely, the ad hoc working group on further commitments for Annex 1 parties under the Kyoto Protocol, which is called the AWG-KP. It sounds like one of these these A-teams they'd have in Special Forces, eh? AWGKP. And the ad hoc working group on long-term cooperation under the convention, awg LCA by the CMP and the COP, respectively. That's all these supreme bodies, remember. Not, not kidding you. It, it, you've got to understand that what they're talking about. Anyway, the big ones, the big climate change conferences for October are up now. And this is the, the link I'll put up tonight. To let you, if you want to wade through this rubbish, you can do so as they, they get together and discuss the weather and how they can punish you for, for anthropogenic global warming, man-made global warming, and how much CO2 you're going to be allowed to emit every year. I guess joggers are going to get fined even more than anybody else, because eh? they're always fast-breathing as they run all past you there. So anyway, this is a big one, and uh, it's going to take place in uh, Panama, one of them, the meetings, from Saturday. The, uh, actually, it's on right now to Friday the 7th. Back with more after this break. Exciting stuff, eh? 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And apparently Cheney, Dick Cheney, was up in Vancouver recently on a book signing deal and... Uh, he got uh, he got a nice welcome from those who were protesting his visit uh, as a war criminal, basically. I'll put the link up for that tonight. I mean, it's in that article, too, about Cheney. I mean, these guys never die. They never go away, you see. It's kind of like old soldiers never die. These politicians, this give them one heart after another, I think, forever. But anyway, Cheney, it says, Obama should correct criticism of Bush's anti-terror tactics. His former Vice President Dick Cheney praised the Obama administration Sunday. They should give him the New American Century Award since they, they gave the last one out, and Obama's even outdone the last one. Anyway, it says, for using a drone strike to kill American-born Muslim cleric Anwar al-Awlaki, but said President Barack Obama should now reverse past criticism of former President George W. Bush's actions against suspected terrorists. Suspected. You, you blow them up now, you see. Al-Alaki, an American whose fluency in English was born in the States and technology made him one of the top terrorist recruiters in the world, was killed fighting in Yemen, according to U.S. and Yemeni government officials. He was up in the... He actually worked with the White House at one point, I believe, uh, to try to uh, stop uh, terrorism within, give him a better understanding, of course, of the religion and so on. And he got so fed up with them going after Muslim nations, he went over to other country, and simply on the basis that he could possibly, possibly provoke them into violence because he was a good, had good vocabulary and a good understanding of what was going on. They, they sent a drone over and blew him up, along with some other ones too. Says the strike also killed Samir Khan, an American of Pakistani origin, and two others who were in the same vehicle as Al Alaki, said the US official who was briefed by the CIA. Well, you can always depend on them to tell you the whole story. Can specialize in computer programming for Al-Qaeda <laughs> and authored the Terror Network's online magazine, Inspire. So you actually terror magazines now as well. But it makes me wonder, too, when you read any propaganda from government, it all depends on how, you're, how you see things, isn't it? How, your perspective on things, because if you're attacking countries across the world, and you're giving rah-rah cheers about wonderful drones and the latest things and so on that you've got, weaponry. Isn't that the same thing? Uh, really, isn't it the same thing? It's, of course it's the same thing. It's not even worse because you're doing it under the guise of legitimacy. And, of course, any enemy you've got is a, is a terrorist, obviously. It's like the founding fires of the U.S. were all called terrorists as well. And so they won. And it's the same in Israel. Uh, they were called uh, terrorists, the ones who, who came into Israel before and after World War II, and even during it. And uh, and then and once they were recognized by the United Nations, then they're not terrorists anymore. So really, a decision at the United Nations can make you a non-terrorist and, and a legitimate uh, entity, basically. Isn't that how it really goes? In old days, mind you, like Scotland, they used to just hang, draw and quarter you, disembowel you in front of your own eyes, uh, just to make sure the peasants got the message if they called you a terrorist, like William Wallace and others. But uh, these days have gone, and there's some people in Parliament rather ticked off with that at the moment. Anyway, this, this is the world we live in. It's all perception and, and how they, they, they can twist your, your understanding of something. And you must participate in your own deception all the time. 
Now, high school students shout anti-government slogans during a protest march Tuesday in Athens against economic austerity and planned education reforms. It says here, as Europe's leaders stumble towards financial disaster, terrifying inve- terrified investors, I call them terrifying, uh, and risking a worldwide recession, a lot of the blame can be traced to a peculiar economic notion that economists call expansionary austerity. Expansionary austerity, I think when you work through all the gobbledygook, means that that um, as you're getting thinner and thinner as you steer part, your belt becomes seems to get wider and wider. Uh, so, so it seems to be expanding, but you're actually shrinking. So far, the evidence is strong that, that this idea not only doesn't work, but is severely undercutting the economic recovery in Europe, where it's been an important influence on in policy, especially when it comes to heavily indebted Greece. It's amazing. This is a ship that can't sink because it's got all these dollars and euros fired by giant cannons from all the countries that borrow it from these secretive bankers. They fire all this cash at this hole to try to plug the hole in Greece to keep it afloat, apparently, but they just can't do it. And no one can account to where, for where all the billions and billions and, and even trillions of money goes. This is called science, you know, of economics. Anyway, it says the notion that you can simultaneously slash deficits and stimulate growth is a very hopeful way of looking at the world, but unfortunately it's not based on anything ever seen in economic history, says economic forecaster Peter Berizin, managing editor of the Bank Credit Analysis. It says now Berizin suggests the fate of Europe depends largely on whether that region's leaders will let go of their stubborn infatuation with expansionary austerity or follow it right over the edge of a financial precipice. Oh, my God, eh? Maybe their belt's been all white and that will stick on a branch on the way down and they won't go down all the way, eh? Like a cartoon. Think of this idea as a kind of bizarre Keynesianism. Instead of supporting a stumbling indebted economy with enough public spending to sustain demand until the private sector heals, how's it going to heal, eh? Government slash spending, it says. The theory is that this show of fiscal discipline unleashes such confidence amongst consumers and businesses that they spend more and invest more, boosting growth. I guess that's what you, what you can do is buy a better quality tent for your tent city. Maybe that's what they mean by it. You know, something a bit thicker that doesn't disintegrate in one summer under the sun. The notion that austerity can spur growth isn't crazy and it can work well under the right circumstances, uh, but these are not today's circumstances. I wonder where it's ever worked. There's research suggesting, for example, if a country's growth is already strong or if there's some other support for the economy, such as plunging interest rates or soaring exports, then cuts in government spending can indeed boost confidence amongst residents of a heavily indebted country. It's all nonsense. It's all absolute rubbish. You know, Canada's dollar went up uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, and, and to a stronger position. It said the country's, you know, Canada's dollar was strong against the, the U.S. dollar, which was weak, you see. It's like a sports game, isn't it? It's like waiting for the, the weak one to get off the canvas and come back up fighting. This is rubbish that they use on us. But anyway, uh, then, of course, uh, two days later, the, the, the Bank of Canada, which is just a meeting ground where, where uh, uh, an, uh, uh, an appointed guy by the government meets the, the guys we borrow from. That's what they call the Bank of Canada. Uh, uh, they slashed the, the Canadian dollar, or actually, they made it less, less strong, made it weaker, so that we could get bit more exports out of the country. Because all we've got left now is raw materials, you see. Most of the factories have all gone. So we've got mines left, though. As long as China wants the ore, which goes pa- past my house every day, I guess I'll keep the country maybe afloat. 
But in reality, as I say, they, they brought the, the strength of the, dollar, uh, the Canadian dollar down because it was just too strong. Once it's strong, they don't want to buy anything from you. It's too expensive, you see. So you can't win. You understand? The whole point is you can't win unless you're the boys that are running it all. They know what they're going to do with the cash. And believe you me, they scurried away long before you even get wind of what's going on. Anyway, it seems to work in Canada during the, the, the country's mid-1990s campaign to slash deficits. And there are many other such examples cited by some economists, but they involve countries where growth was strong or where it was supported by factors like falling interest rates, sharp currency devaluation, or rapid growth among trading partners. You know, everything that's happened in my lifetime has been detrimental to the society. I've never known uh, a country that's gone up and up and up, or even stayed pretty stable. It's always been uh, deals made quietly by governments through international organizations. We don't elect them in, of course, to take all your factories away to China, for instance, and you're left, as I say, with nothing but raw resources to, to ship off. To, and they call us a balance of trade, you know. I think the balance of trade with China, I don't think our, our scale, our side of the scale has ever moved off the ground. I mean, everything's coming in from China. You understand? I don't, we're never touched the ground, actually. Anyway, this is the rubbish they call economics, but it's all meant to control and benefit those who run money. That's the secret of it all. Is, is, you see, people thousands of years ago wanted to be kings and queens. And I've gone through this before. And so what they did was uh, uh, big guys would slaughter the guys near him, the families, and then eventually get a big following, you see. In some countries, this still happens today in places like around Australia, New Guinea, etc., would actually have a man in each tribe. It's called the big man. And the big man gets, oh, he gets worshipped by all the little people, you see. And that's how it was a long time ago and thousands of years ago elsewhere as well. And so these big guys, they were kind of terrifying, big bullies, would become kings eventually. And, they'd, and the more guys who would follow them, the more they would plunder their people and steal what they had. But you see, there's other guys who came in and says, well, we don't want to do it that way. It's far easier to, to basically be the kings of money. Why bother with armies when everything needs money? And they became kings of money. That's basically what happened a long time ago. hasn't changed today. And you're working really with the descendants of the same few people uh, rep to the present time running this thing called cash. And countries have been uh, basically sold off in the past before and down through history because of usury, uh, compound interest. And uh, remember, too, in some countries in the Middle Ages, usury could go up to 80-odd percent on interest, like it did in parts of Germany, which then became, was not rationally for greater Germany then, but that's what happened in some of these countries. And we're still playing the same game today. And then you get this rubbish at school to all the children, oh, you're all going to go out that finishing, that starting line there with an equal chance. Then they give you equality and all that rubbish. Eh? A fair chance of getting up the ladder and, and having a good life. Utter rot. But anyway, thank God for all these guys with degrees in this thing called economics. Something that uh, uh, Rothschild himself said a long time ago. He says those that catch, in, catch on to this big financial scam called money and usury and interest, etc., he says, uh, will not disclose it to the public because they'll be, they'll be benefiting too much of it themselves to let it out the bag. And that's called economics today. So, 
we know that these Wall Street protests are spreading as well. This is protests against the perceived excess of Wall Street spread further Tuesday with events in new cities as the populist groundswell enters its 18th day. I'd be interested in what, sees, what comes out of all this because, you know, the big boys want to alter the, the, the cash system into their world cash system. And uh, it, it's all going down the way that Quigley pretty well predicted. And he should know because Quigley was the, the historian, official historian for the Council on Foreign Relations that were set up by the, the big bankers in Britain under the name of Royal Institute of International Affairs a long time ago. And the Milner Group was comprised of the big bankers of London, the guys who did lend to nations and still do with their descendants. Anyway... It says here, on Monday, hundreds, of, uh, dressed, hundreds dressed as zombies and lurched past the New York Stock Exchange, clutching fistfuls of fake money. And Chicago demonstrators pounded drums in the city's financial district. Others pitched tents away, protest signs at passing cars in Boston, St. Louis, Kansas City, uh, Minnesota, and Los Angeles. Downtown Boston saw hundreds of demonstrators march from a tent city on a grassy plot in downtown, uh, in downtown towards the State House, calling for an end of corporate influence of government. Well, government and corporate interests are tied at the hip, if not one and the same thing today, to be honest with you. Uh, they are, they're one and the same thing today. And some heavy thinking has to go into that. So remember, too, that according to the guys who set up this part of the agenda that we're living through today, many of whom died before the 1960s, but they set up the global institutions for this very time that we're living through today with the cultural changes, including the financial changes too, also talked about setting up uh, the, the bank, the Bank for International Settlements, which they did actually a long, long time ago. And the Bank for International Settlements works with the World Bank and the IMF, and it's based in Switzerland, of course. And it is to become the, the, this real um, broker for all defunct countries. That was its function when it was set up a long, long, long time ago. I think even back in the 30s. And Carl Quigley, on behalf of the Council on Foreign Relations, said this through financial crisis, etc., they'll bring all the central banks together under this one system, which is exactly what those who own the central banks want. You see, they're private banks. That's what they are, central banks. They're private banks. And um, they've all to go under the Bank for International Settlements. I'll put up a link tonight for it too, and you can have a, a gander at it yourself. So it's the Bank for International Settlements. It's an intergovernmental organization of central banks. Isn't that interesting? All the ones that are claiming, oh, my God, we're just hanging on right now. So there's an international organization of central banks which fosters international monetary and financial cooperation and serves as a bank for central banks. It serves as a bank for central banks. So technically, your central banks are borrowing from this other big bank of international settlements. It is not accountable to any national government. Totally private, you see. The Bank of International Settlements carries out its work through subcommittees, the secretariats it hosts, and through its annual general meeting of all members. It also provides banking services, but only to central banks. See, not to, not to little old you or me, or to international organizations like itself. Based in Basel, Switzerland, the BIS was established by the Hague Agreements of 1930. The name of the BIS in German, and it gives you it there in French as well, and in Italian, and has representatives' offices in Hong Kong and Mexico City. 
that has got a whole list of uh, links coming off of this one particular site. I'll put it up tonight. Because, see, that's the big one. This is the big one. This is how it's supposed to happen. As we quickly said, the central banks will all eventually uh, merge. They're already using this one BIS, Bank of International Settlements, and have been since the 1930s. They'll merge into one super uh, global system, as we all lose our countries anyway. If you haven't noticed, uh, have a look at Europe. It used to be a conglomerate of separate uh, sovereign nations. It's all gone. And the same things to happen to the Americas. And of course, in the Council on Foreign Relations over on this side has said over the last few big crashes and the terrorist nonsense and so on, that this is good for integration of the Americas, both financial crisis and under the guise of terrorism to merge together. Same with all the, the Pacific Rim region. And you've also got the same thing happening with uh, Russia, Putin's, uh, Putin is putting forward his idea. It's not his idea at all. Uh, for a, a unification of all the old Soviet countries to into a block. But then they'll merge eventually with Europe down the road. So everything's worked out long before you were born, and we're just going through uh, the phases now to put it into, into action. Also, too, I want to mention tonight, I mentioned last week, I think it was, about how uh, people in Africa in certain areas were being burned off their land. Uh, they were being killed at times, too. Uh, because the World Bank, you know this wonderful United Nations uh, World Bank that really is a private group that belongs again to the BIS, that last group I mentioned, they're the big players in global government, are, are really, they've got, their own, they've got their own private investment group uh, in there with their strongmen, and it's the strongmen that are kicking the guys off the land because they own the United Nations, you see this BIS, and uh, they want that land for Carbon sinks, big money in it, big money in it, all your tax money. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix, talking about this carbon scam and understand the United Nations has got all these big international corporations in bed with them. Stop thinking of the UN as this wonderful group that hands candy bars across the world. It's so Orwellian, they call them peacekeepers they send and you know soldiers are called peacekeepers. They're not killers anymore, they're peacekeepers. And it's all Orwell speak, basically. But anyway, this carbon con, they've already ripped, they're already kicking folk off their land in Africa, across Africa, because you see there's big, big money to be had in planting a few trees or taking over existing trees and calling them carbon sinks. And then taxpayers end up just throwing money at you via your government for holding these carbon sinks, you see. It's, it's a creek. This is the Wizard of Oz we're in now, you understand? You have to learn a whole new way of thinking where anything's possible and, and completely unbelievable becomes completely believable. And, and that's what you've got to understand to do with climate change. Once you've got that, you'll understand all of it, you know, and you'll be utterly insane. But anyway, the deaths of 2,300 Honduran farmers involved in land disputes with the UN-approved PAM oil, 
oil plantations raising an international outcry against alleged human rights abuses. Euroactive reports members of the European Parliament planning to investigate mission to Honduras this month, while others are calling for a ban on carbon credits to the plantations under the EU's emissions trading system. Additionally, it says the UN Clean Development Mechanism is weighing its validation process, which originally accredited the plantations, a process critics call only rudimentary, completely unregulated and badly documented. Utter rubbish. The fact is the UN is giving out carbon credits to their big pals of international corporations, including the World Bank, and unfortunately there's folk living on the land, and they want them off. So they kill them off, burn them off, or whatever it takes. They even take, bring, hiring in international security people and special, ex-special forces, the mercenaries, and take to kill them. That's what they're doing. This is a real world, folks. You know? Protests erupted in July when six international human rights advocacy groups presented a report to the EP detailing what they called murders and forced evictions of peasants in the Albajo Aguin Valley of northern Honduras. The International Federation of Human Rights report accuses United Nations sanctioned palm oil mills of stealing farmland from Honduran natives and killing or wounding them when they attempt to defend their property. It says the companies acting with government impunity regularly target members of local land rights movements who end up murdered and feigned car accidents or hunted down and shot by private security guides. They're flying the mercenaries in. So much, you're writing on millions and billions of dollars worldwide if you can grab the right land. And you do nothing with it. You just stroll, you know, have, have parties and stuff, and, and, it, and it absorbs the carbon. That's what they tell you. And you'll be able to get big, big grants given for helping save the world by, because the trees absorb the carbon, we're told, you see. What a great deal. Money for nothing, eh? Money for nothing. Examples of the violence are gruesome. Security guards ambushed a 15-year-old uh, Roderick Omar Villegas near his village and shot him to death with an AK-47. Car run down and killed a 60-year-old Juan Ramon Mejia. And Jose Leonel Guerra Alvarez was murdered inside his home in front of his wife and children by armed assailants firing from outside the house. Reporting for Euroactive, Arthur Nelson asked a CDM board member about the approval of companies which employ such violent tactics. We are not investigators of crimes, reported the United Nations official. We just caused them. I did the last part. They didn't say we caused them. No, they would never admit to that. He explained the CDM's purpose is to award companies in developing countries with emission reduction credits. That's freebies, folks. They hand out millions of dollars in freebies for land if you can get the peasants off them. And it's all yours. Mine, mine, money, money. You see, that's it. Yeah. That's what runs the world, folks. We need a new system, eh? Well, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, ask your night, me your God or your God's school with you. Remember, buy the books and discs, and hopefully I'll, I'll tickle along while there's still some money out there.